It's definitely, definitely an honor to be here and to share the Word of God with you on today. I'm thankful to have my wife to join us in the worship service on this morning, and it's also great to see Sister Stephanie and the children. Uh, we do appreciate their uh, fellowship and our time of interaction with one another. Uh, we have enjoyed ourselves over the past several years through the Tennessee Air National Guard and the ministry opportunities that we've had together, and uh, your pastor is correct when he says that he is a dear friend of mine. He is someone whom I love dearly, and I appreciate his great example and his love for the Lord and his love for the people of God, and he is an awesome leader. And so I pray that uh, Christ's covenant, that you understand how great of a pastor, a spiritual leader in this community uh, that you have in the form of Pastor Seth Hammond. Oh, they cut me off after. <laughs> I don't know what you've done, but <laughs> but uh, he is a great pastor, a great person, and I hope that he's greatly appreciated by each and every one of you. We thank God for the leadership of this ministry as well. You're doing a spectacular job. And also thank you for allowing us uh, for the past couple of years to utilize your sanctuary to pre-record our virtual worship services for freedom because um, when the pandemic hit, we didn't know how we were going to minister to others and your pastor made that uh, available to us and it's greatly appreciated. So you're serving in ways that you're probably unaware of and having an impact on the kingdom in ways that uh, you don't even recognize. But we appreciate um, your, you and your facility and all that you do in ministry. Uh, let us go, ahead, go to the Lord in prayer at this time. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would focus our hearts as we meditate on your word today. We pray that you would eliminate all distractions in us and around us so that we may receive that which you have in store for us. I pray that the words that I speak will be the words that you desire to be said so that the seed of your word will fall upon good ground and produce the fruit that you desire so that others who are watching us will see that good fruit, enter into a relationship with you, and then give glory and honor to the one who deserves it. And it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to take a look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 10 beginning at verse 25 and concluding with verse 37. Luke 10 and 25, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say and how do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. 
going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I just want us to be prayerful on the subject, helping hurting people. Because it's understood by me that my responsibility this morning is to just share with you concerning your outreach to the immediate community uh, surrounding us. And we know that there is a tremendous need. And so we need to motivate the ministry to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to go and help individuals who are hurting uh, and help individuals who have been injured by life. And so when we take a look at the Word of God, it's amazing to me as to how God gives us instruction and direction on how to approach that and how to go about it. He gives us tremendous insight on how we are to conduct ourselves in the work of ministry. And when I'm at Freedom Fellowship Christian Church, one of the things that I try to encourage the people of God to do is to make sure that they don't read the Word of God too fast. Because if you read it too fast, you're guaranteed to miss out on something. Because the God that we serve, He is a God of purpose. Meaning that He always does everything on purpose and with purpose. And even as the Holy Spirit inspired men to write these words, He never... Uh, inspired them so that they might uh, feel space on a page. But he always had purpose for everything that was recorded and what was written. And so what we are here to do today is to discover and to discern uh, the message that the Lord has for us and then take that message and not only allow it to seep into our heads but into our hearts so that we can uh, make sure that it manifests itself in our daily lives and in our daily experiences. And so what we have recorded in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37 is first an interaction that takes place between Jesus and what the Bible refers to as an Old Testament a lawyer. He's an Old Testament scholar. And so he approaches Jesus and he asks him the question. He says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And I think that that's instructional within itself because Jesus understood that this man was familiar with Scripture. And so he now poses the question to him and he basically says, you tell me. And so uh, this Old Testament scholar, he then Um, He then quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. He says, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then you have to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to what Jesus says next. He says, right, you are familiar with the law, but now I need you to follow the law. Uh, That's wonderful because he wants us to make sure that we're not just hearers of the word, but that we are doers as well. 
because he never intended for us to just accumulate knowledge concerning the word of God, but this word is transformative. It should bring about change and transformation in our lives and in the lives of other people. But listen to this man. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, when you read the passage very closely, it lets us know two things. It lets us know, number one, that the man asked the right question. But then it also exposed his motivation because he asked the right question, but with the wrong motivation. Because it says that this man was more interested in justifying himself. He wanted to walk away self-justified rather than to experience the imputed uh, righteousness of God. Uh, he was more interested in being self-righteous than being declared righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's when Jesus gives him this story. We often refer to it as the Good Samaritan. And he shares an experience of a person. He identifies this person as a Jewish individual who was traveling from Jerusalem down through Jericho. And then he falls among thieves or bandits. These bandits, what they do to him, they rob him and they beat him and they leave him on the side of the road half dead. And then when we continue to read the story, it says that there was a priest or a religious leader in the community that he saw the injured man from across the street, but instead of him going to offer up and to provide assistance to the injured man, it said he just continued to pass by on the other side of the road. Now, that's the pastor, preacher, the spiritual leader in the community, but uh, there's another person that was also there. He was a temple assistant, probably equivalent to our modern-day deacons. He saw this man, and it said that he came to where the injured man was, and he looked down upon him to investigate the situation a little more closely. After he investigated the situation, it says this man likewise passed by on the other side. But then there's a third individual. It says that there is a Samaritan. This Samaritan, when he comes, he's known to be a despised individual. The reason why scripture tells us he's a despised Samaritan is because that's an acknowledgement of the racial tensions that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so what it's teaching us is this, is that uh, this individual who was despised by the Jew runs across a Jew who has fallen among thieves, who's been uh, robbed of his material possessions and beaten and left half dead. But it is this despised individual who comes to his aid and who comes to his assistance. Uh, what that uh, inspires me, uh, how that inspires me, what that does for me, how that brings joy uh, to my life, what it is also uh, tailored to teach both you and me is this, is that our help often comes from the most unlikely individuals. And I really wish I had some time to just linger there for a little while and just talk about that because too often we get upset about who's not helping us and who's not assisting us and who didn't come to our aid and to our rescue in our time of need. Uh, but really, I believe God is always trying to redirect our attention to that unlikely person that came to us in our time of need and was there all along. But uh, we really, because 
we may have had a contentious relationship with them, just like these two individuals had in our text. Uh, we were not expecting them to come to our aid and to our rescue. We probably didn't even want them to come and assist us. But when you're lying there injured and bloodied and beaten, uh, then you might as well go ahead and submit to whatever aid and assistance uh, and relief that's being provided, even if it comes from an unlikely individual and an unlikely source. It teaches us in this text that there's actually four types of people in the world. Uh, first of all, there are individuals who are attacked. Uh, this person in the King James Version, it said he experienced a fall. He fell among thieves. Uh, the thief robbed him and stole from him and beat him and left him half dead. Uh, then there are the avoiders, like the religious leader, the priest, who saw the injured, fallen, wounded man, but just kept walking, minding his own business, never offering up any assistance or any uh, uh, aid or relief. Then there's the approacher. There's the modern-day deacon. He sees the injured man, but he comes up and he walks up to the injured man, and then he makes uh, the mistake of, number one, looking down on him. And if I could use my sanctified imagination, I believe that this individual looked down upon the person that was lying there wounded and injured because he wanted to do his own unscientific case study. He was preoccupied with and consumed with the notion and the idea of what got this man into this situation that he finds himself in? What caused him to experience this fall and to be lying there wounded, injured, and half dead? I believe he was curious as to whether or not that this man found himself in this plight and in this predicament because of the environment in which he was raised. Could it believe that, could it be that uh, because of the environment in which he was raised, because of the environment in which he lived and those influences around him contributed to his fall and contributed to his unfortunate set of circumstances? Is it environment or is it genetics? Was this individual uh, genetically predisposed to be like he is and in the situation that he finds himself in? Because if you learn anything about his family history, you'll probably discover that his grandfather was an alcoholic. His daddy was an alcoholic, and therefore he was predisposed to alcoholism. And thus, that's why he's in the situation that he's in, lying there in the gutter. And you can put any type of addiction or any type of set of circumstances in that blank. And sometimes we often get caught up in our own personal case studies and we want to know how did people end up where they are and like they are. If we're not careful, we can become so uh, we can become so preoccupied trying to discover what caused people to get in their situation that we fail to tell them what can get them out. Because I don't know about you, but the only reason why I'm able to stand before you on today is because of what Jesus Christ has done in my heart and in my life. Because I was that wounded man. I was the man that experienced a fall and a traumatic experience in my life. But if it had not been for the blood of Jesus Christ, then I wouldn't be able to preach and proclaim his gospel. I wouldn't be able to help aid and assist others. Uh, I, 
he was, I believe he was so preoccupied with what got the man in the situation that he failed to tell him what could get him out. But thank God for the despised Samaritan that we later on call the good Samaritan. Because when he saw this man, he didn't avoid him like the priest. He didn't approach him and then refuse to assist him. But he came to aid him and to provide relief for the injured and the wounded man. When you read the text closely, it says that the despised Samaritan, when he saw this injured Jew, he looked upon him with the eyes of compassion. And compassion is a compound word. C-O-M is the prefix and then passion. Passion means to suffer. C-O-M, that prefix means with. So when the good Samaritan looked upon this injured man, he could feel his pain. He identified with his fall. He identified with his suffering, and he had compassion. He was beginning to suffer with the wounded individual to the point that it motivated him to offer aid and to offer relief. That's the fourth type of person. You have individuals who have been attacked, others who will avoid, those who will approach the situation but then avoid it later on, and then those who will come alongside and assist and aid you in your time of need. Listen to what the man did when he offered up the aid and the relief. It says that he saw him and he saw that he had been injured, and then he took some wine and oil and poured it into the wound. I'm telling you, I wish I could preach this how I'm feeling it right now and share some other insights that I received as a result of studying this passage because that wine is symbolic of the blood of Jesus Christ and the oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to overcome our fall and the injuries that we've sustained in this treacherous life in which we live, we need both the blood and the Holy Spirit. We need the oil and the wine. It says, then he placed a bandage on his wound, lifted the man up off of the ground. After all, that's the only time you should ever look down on anybody is to lift them up. And he picked him up and placed him on his donkey and then carried him to the inn, paid for a room out of his own resources and provided overnight care to the injured man. But it didn't even stop there. Then after he had provided care overnight, he knew he had to move on and take care of some other responsibilities that were calling upon him. So he spoke to the innkeeper, reached into his pocket, pulled out silver coins, gave it to the innkeeper and said, this is for the care of the injured man. And if you happen to spend more than what I've given you, don't fret over it. Don't get upset about it. Just make a note of it. And then when I return, I will give back. I will repay you for the sacrifice that you made. See, what we see here in the text is this, is that Jesus is our good Samaritan. 
See, the man, he was a picture of Jesus. The Good Samaritan was a picture of Jesus in the sense that he is the one that has come to our aid and he has come to our rescue. He's entrusted us with certain resources to then uh, offer to other people who are assisting us in caring for the needy. And then Jesus says, now, if it happens to cost you more than what I left you, don't worry about that. Don't get upset about that. But I'm coming back again. And when I come I'm back, I'm bringing my reward with you, and I will reward you in kind. The way we like to say it in my faith tradition is like this. God has a way of giving you double for your trouble, that he will be the one to repay you when we do the right thing with the right motivation. And so what he teaches us is how to help hurting people. One of the things that I love about the word of God is this, is its relevance. Young people today often think that the Word of God is disconnected from our experience, that it's not relevant, that it's antiquated, and that it's outdated. Well, I'm here to prove all individuals who think and believe like that wrong, because what the Bible is tailored to teach us today is its relevance on how we can carry out the work of ministry using the ministry model that Jesus shared with us over 2,000 years ago. Because the first thing that he says is whenever you come across some hurting people, you need to help them by providing, number one, relief. Relief is what we need to provide the suffering to the best of our ability. I pray that our society has not made us so callous and so hard that we have become insensitive to the needs of others and, for, and towards the people who are suffering that we fail to provide relief. He says, first of all, whenever you see someone suffering, then you should be motivated in your heart and in your mind to provide some kind of relief. Why is that? Because all of us have been recipients of relief who know Jesus Christ. What I believe is that God says this to you and to me, and that is whatever grace that we have experienced, that same grace is what we need to extend to other people that we come in contact with. If we have received relief, if God has come to our aid, if he has come to our rescue, then we likewise need to be Jesus in the lives of others. We need to provide that same type of aid, that same type of relief. We need to be there for other people who have fallen among thieves. Then he says, now, you have to understand something whenever you're involved in the work of ministry, and that is it will cost you something. <laughs> we cannot think that we're going to participate in ministry and it's not going to cost us something. Matter of fact, it can be fairly expensive in terms of costing us our time, our talent, as well as our treasure. He says, you never lose out if you invest your resources in the kingdom of God by helping other people. It says we cannot be afraid to utilize the resources that God has entrusted to us to provide relief and support to others who are less fortunate than we are. So that's exactly what the man does. He, he utilizes all of the resources available to him. He utilizes his transportation. 
He utilized his financial, um, his, his financial uh, resources, and, and, and he utilized his own giftings, his own talent, his own ability for the benefit of someone else. He says, you have to utilize your resources to help other people, to help hurting people. But then what if their need exceeds your capacity to aid them, to support them, and to assist them? Then be like the good Samaritan. He made a referral. <laughs> he went to the innkeeper and said, you know what? Um, I've got to move on. I've done all that I could do at this point, but this individual, he still uh, needs care. Uh, I'm going to entrust you with these financial resources in order to continue to provide care for the person in need. Oh, and by the way, I am coming back again. So if it costs you more than what I left you with, now we're talking about reward. When I return, I will pay that which you have utilized. I'll pay that back unto you. How many of you know that when Jesus Christ comes back again, when he returns, he's going to bring his reward with him and he will reward you and I for the work that we have done when we've done the right thing with the right motivation. Not because we want our name and lights, not because we want other people to think well of us, but because we saw a need, we identified that need, we knew that we could assist with that need, and then we did what needed to be done. Not looking for anything from anybody, but just anticipating that one day God who knows all and sees all is going to reward us for a job well done. I love this story because uh, it reminds me of what Jesus has done in my life. And if it had not been for the Lord in my life, I do know where I would be and I wouldn't be standing before you here now and today. I thank God for all that he has provided. I thank God for all of the ways that he's made. I thank God for how he delivered me. I thank God for the hope that he provides for me. And so now it is my responsibility to do the same thing for others. Let me just throw this in real quick while I'm closing it out. One of the things that you have to understand is this. Sometimes when you provide support and relief to others, the very people that you're trying to help will not even act as if they appreciate it. You might not get a thank you. You might not get a pat on the back. As a matter of fact, we live in such an entitled society. They might look at you and say, you're supposed to do what you just done for me. Don't allow that to irritate you and to frustrate you and then go on strike when it comes to the work of ministry. Just understand this one thing that ultimately we serve God and whoever, whoever benefit, help me Holy Ghost, we ultimately serve God. And so we serve God by serving others. So they just happen to be the benefactor of that service. So if they never say thank you, if they never show any gratitude, if they never acknowledge my efforts, that's all right because ultimately I'm waiting on God to say unto me, well done, my good and faithful servant. So let us not be weary in 
Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you don't quit and if you don't give up.